we're a species that's facing some of its greatest challenges in recorded history. And we've got a whole bunch of people staring into their phones all day. We really need the distracted geniuses among us to rise to the occasion. We have some stuff to deal with as a species, whether it's how are we going to feed everyone on this planet or what are we going to do about climate change? We need our best minds working on this. We really need all of our minds taking responsibility for what's going on in the world that allows us to live. Um, but we're so busy checking if someone liked our post. That's Giancarlo Patoco. He's a former big tech employee turned digital wellness expert. I'm your host, Patrick McGinnis, and this is FOMO Sapiens, part of the HBR Presents Network. My name is Patrick McGinnis, and I'm the guy who invented the term FOMO. That's short for fear of missing out. Today, FOMO is an epidemic, and it's changing us so much that it sort of feels like we're evolving into a new species. But FOMO doesn't have to take over your life. You can find the power to choose what you actually want and the courage to miss out on the rest. I'll show you how right here on FOMO Sapiens. Welcome to FOMO Sapiens, the show where I interview people who are changing the world and ask them how they choose from among the many options and opportunities in their busy lives. Have you ever checked your phone to find out how much time you're spending looking at that tiny little screen? If you're like me, I bet you have, and I will admit that I pick up my phone an average of 90 times a day, which is insane. Because the amount of time you spend on your computer, on your phone, watching television, online, is all part of an epic battle for your consciousness that is being waged by media companies, tech companies, advertisers, and a litany of other forces. My guest today is on the front lines of that fight and will tell us how to join in the battle ourselves. Giancarlo Patoco is a social impact entrepreneur focused on solutions to the public health crisis left in the wake of Silicon Valley's growth at all costs mindset. Giancarlo left a career working for Facebook, Instagram, Apple, and the world's largest ad agencies to found Purposeful, a digital well-being practice with a mission to liberate our creative intelligence from distractive technology. Tapping into over 15 years of experience studying the influence of technology on our psychology, Giancarlo designs workshops that help leaders, educators, and communities to transform their relationships with technology in order to align it to their needs, aspirations, and well-being. Giancarlo Patoco, welcome to FOMO Sapiens. Patrick, thank you so much for having me. It is great to have you here. And I want to start with the same question I ask everybody. Everybody feels a little FOMO sometimes. So what turns you into a FOMO sapiens? No question about it. When it's a beautiful day outside, I can see the sun shining. I can see the people out. I see the jackets are off and I'm inside having to do some work or just be in the shadows. That missing out on a beautiful day is number one. So I want to start today uh, talking about distractions. What is, what is distraction in our modern, digital, crazy, overwhelming world? Yeah, well, it's it takes many forms right now, um, all routed through that little screen that we can't seem to take our eyes off of. But it's an important thing to take a look at because your attention is the one instrument that nature has given you to craft your life. If you think about how we live and how we move through our lives, your attention is kind of like the needle or the stylus on a record player. And what you focus it on or where you drop that needle determines what gets played. And so when you look back on the music that's been played in your life, you want to be the one that decided what got played as much as possible versus all the many distractions that come forth through that little four-inch screen that's in front of your face. Instead of allowing that to determine 
what music got played, what you focused your attention on. And so we have everything drawing us in. We have a bottomless news feed from just about every social network that's out there. All of our phones come out of the box ready to send us little notifications for every little app that's on there. Everything we install is vying for our attention. And so the endless buzzes, the dings, the status updates, these things just flowing towards us trying to attract our time and attention so that... They can steal share from competitors. They can uh, sell ads to us. Um, there's there's an infinite source of these, and this includes television and even Spotify. Uh, you know, music. There are many forms of distraction around us at all times, including all the visual noise that you see when you go outside. Like one of my favorite spots in New York to go relax is over by the Hudson River, and I went out on one of the piers last week, and I noticed a new thing. They have boats going up and down the Hudson River whose sole intention is to be a giant LED screen that shows you ads. So even my escape from all the distraction when I take my walks without phones over to the river, I'm still being shown ads for Geico. <laughs> you know, once upon a time when you would go to that park, you would see a person without their pants walking around. Yeah. And now you have to see an advertisement. That's right. That's right. <laughs> is there no end? <laughs> you know, when you talk about distraction, it, it seems to me that Something has changed in the past two years where a lot of people that, that I observe and I know in this world have just gotten to a point where they're, 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 they realize that there's a problem and they're starting to turn off the notification and quit Facebook or whatever those sort of things are. What has happened? What, what do you think of the drivers or this realization that we have a problem? You know, the interesting thing about that is I feel like it's been the past two years that that's happened as well. But when I lead workshops, public workshops in particular, and ask people, who here has heard of the attention economy? Who here has heard of X or Y concept? Uh, who here has heard of the Center for Humane Technology or Tristan Harris or the concept of time well spent? I'm lucky if I get two hands to go up in a group of 70. Wow. And that's, that's where the bubble bursts for me where I'm like, wow, okay, among a select few of us, this has really come to the forefront where we feel discomfort about this. We are reading about what's going on with the attention economy and competition for our minds by the major companies out of Silicon Valley. But it's not as widespread as we think. What is widespread, and I think what you were getting at, is this notion of discomfort that has emerged in people where they they feel like the relationship to their phone and to social media is unhealthy, though they can't quite pinpoint what's going on. But they do feel like they spend too much time on it, that they don't feel good after they use it. And what has led to that? I think it is very much the forces, the market forces of the attention economy at work here where things are getting really fierce. The competition, you know, like the famous example is when um, autoplay was introduced on different video platforms like uh, YouTube and, and Netflix and Facebook. That's a relatively recent phenomenon in the past couple of years where you're watching Netflix, the episode ends before the credits have even finished rolling. It's doing the countdown to the next episode that it's going to autoplay for you. So they do that. All of a sudden, YouTube, in order to keep up, needs to introduce their autoplay feature. And then Facebook's not far behind introducing theirs. And so we're seeing this ratcheting up of the arsenal of these companies who are trying to capture our attention. And even if you're a company like Netflix who doesn't make money off of advertising, you're still stealing market share from your competitors. Um, it doesn't sell more subscriptions, but it keeps them away from competitors that could be a threat and limits them from growing as much revenue. So for somebody who hasn't heard of the attention economy, can you provide a definition for us? 
Yeah, so this is what has emerged in the age of companies monetizing uh, free platforms, you know, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. All of these platforms are free for the end users like us. But they make money in the same way that newspapers have been making money for ages, which is selling advertisements to um, the readers or selling advertisements to brands, companies that want to reach their readers. And so... um, what we have now is technology that is engineered. Newspaper is different because you have to choose to go out and purchase it and read it, and there's an end to it. There's a beginning and an end. But we are now in an age, starting in the late 90s, with the book called Persuasive Technology and B.J. Fogg's lab that he created. Um, they, they've been engineering technology to hook us, to keep us uh, paying attention as much as possible to increase the inventory they have of ad space to sell. And so there is this war going on, this market war that's happening between companies in Silicon Valley, uh, Facebook, uh, Google in particular, really trying to capture as much of our attention as possible by making technology that compels us, takes advantage of aspects of our psychology. The same methods that were used by casinos to keep people hooked and playing longer. Um, Anything that Facebook or Google can do to get you to spend just a couple more seconds on their platform, that's an opportunity to show you a little more ads. And when you scale that out to a network that's the size of like Facebook, for instance, with over 2.5 billion people, that's significant revenue generated. If they introduce one little feature that keeps you on for a few more seconds, multiply that out, all of a sudden they've increased their inventory by a significant factor and therefore their revenue their bottom line and the investors are pleased. So it's this really interesting race uh, for our attention and and it's being done without any regard for the effects it has on our well-being. And so the attention economy is often discussed in those terms, quickly followed by the mental health crisis. So I'm feeling that sinking feeling in my stomach because I think anybody who's listening to this can relate to what you're talking about. Mm. It is the reality that we are surrounded by technology, and we, whether it's Alexa or your iPhone or streaming services, they are they are all finding ways to suck you in. And so that is a reality. If you're listening to this uh, and you want to just kind of get a sense, almost like run a little quick little diagnostic about how you're doing in the in the in the the attention economy in this age of distraction, how does one sort of assess whether or not they you know quote unquote have a problem? Yeah, well, here's um, a helpful starting point that is dead simple. Just start noticing how you spend your waking hours. And I don't mean taking a meticulous log in an Excel spreadsheet or a Google Sheet or something. Just be mindful of how you spend your time over the course of a day and then over a week. And take a look at what are the categories you would put that time spent into. And so start with, of my waking hours, how much time am I spending with my eyes gazing into a screen versus some kind of real-world interaction offline, um, not mediated by technology. Take a look at those two buckets and then of the time spent with technology. Start noticing what are you doing with it? How much of it is consumption-based? And by consumption, I mean scrolling through news feeds, reading news, um, just kind of consuming, wanting to be entertained or receiving information, uh, consuming information versus using it for something that might be more creative or more productive or organizational. And and these may not be the categories that it falls into for you, but when I did this for myself and I continue to do this, that's those are the buckets that it fell into me, which was creativity, productivity, and consumption. And you get a quick lens on, wow, 
here's the shape of my typical day or my time over the course of a week or a month. Uh, if you start noticing this, you can start finding opportunities where you m might be able to optimize and, and stop what is essentially wasting time if you feel like you're over-indexing on, let's say, consumption. So when I did this for myself the very first time, I realized I was spending a ridiculous amount of time in consumption mode. And what I really wanted deep down, if I asked myself, was more creativity, more generativity in my life. And so this allowed me to quickly diagnose, oh, I'm using tech as kind of a distraction from what is a little harder to do, which is to go create and to apply my mind to something that, that you know, will create something in the world. And so just start noticing. And there are now what's wonderful, um, some of the companies like Apple and Google have taken some steps towards helping us do this sort of thing. So if you have an iPhone, um, you have the um, time tracking feature in there. If you go into settings and take a look at screen time is the setting, you can actually see how much time are you spending on your phone on a day or over the course of a week on average? And it'll give you a breakdown of what you're doing on your phone. And it, it'll track across multiple iOS devices, which is really cool. So you can get a sense of what is that really granular breakdown? Uh, and do I feel good about that? That's the real question. When you look at the data, do I feel good about the fact that Facebook is representing 25% of the time that I use my phone? And I'm according to Apple's tracking, I'm spending five hours a day on it. How does that feel? <laughs> Usually not good. And if you ask people to plan their day tomorrow, how do you want to spend your time from wake to bed? Uh, very few people are going to allocate any significant amount of time to cruising the feeds on social media, right? No one, no one thinks like, tomorrow I want to spend an hour and 15 minutes on Facebook. No one puts that. Because that I would this, be intentional. That, that, then it would be intentional, exactly. Yeah. So I ask people to do this in some of my workshops is plan your day tomorrow and then let's discuss. And no one ever puts time in there to like check social media except when it's fueling a, a value of theirs or an intention. So I work with designers sometimes and, and creative professionals, and they'll tell me Instagram is an invaluable resource for inspiration and staying on top of things. And that that's one of the rare exceptions where you hear people are like, well, I need to spend, you know, maybe 30 minutes a week on Instagram to, or, or maybe it's project dependent. And, you know, for this project, I'll need to spend some time on there doing some research. And I think that's wonderful, but there's an intentionality behind it. Yeah. There's, a, there's some purpose for why you are choosing to spend that time. Um, so, yeah, I think just noticing is the most powerful first step you can take. And it's easy because you don't have to do anything except just keep an eye on it. There is a reason why people always say that when they're in the shower, they get their best ideas because mm -hmm. there you are in a place where you are disconnected from everything. Mm -hmm. You are in a, having like a sensational experience. And I mean, sensational in terms of, it's sensational to clean, get clean, but I also mean that you're getting <laughs> hit by water. And so you're feeling things. And I have found, uh, as I talk to people, that is one of those places. There's different things. Maybe you're running, maybe you're on the yoga totally. mat, whatever that yep. thing is for you, you're petting your dog. But um, those are the times when you are away from technology. And so the creativity you mentioned, that that's when it's interesting. If we could unleash that all day long, mm -hmm. how many problems will we solve? Oh my gosh, right? That's the whole thing. And that's what I tell people this is about when they're like, well, how much does this really matter? Uh, if they don't believe the numbers around the mental health crisis, um, I talk to them about, hey, we're a species that's facing some of its greatest challenges in recorded history. And we've got a whole bunch of people staring into their phones all day. We really need the distracted geniuses among us to rise to the occasion. 
We have some stuff to deal with as a species, whether it's how are we going to feed everyone on this planet or what are we going to do about climate change? We need our best minds working on this. We really need all of our minds taking responsibility for what's going on in the world that allows us to live. Um, but we're so busy checking if someone liked our post about the food that we ate last night. <laughs> 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 I mean, I've done that. Uh, so, so what is you mentioned the cost? There, there, there's an interesting cost: the cost of foregone opportunity, the things that we could be doing but we're not. That's right. Have have the have you seen sort of numbers around the loss uh, in productivity mm-hmm. or the impact on businesses? Mm-hmm. If you think about, so mm-hmm. you know, our listeners listeners here are in business world and many of people are listening have companies and probably walk into their office in the morning and see their staff working away and not knowing whether that person is actually doing something productive or if they're doing something distractive. So how do those costs get kind of calculated? Yeah. So here's a fun one. Um, Research shows that on average, we're checking our devices 80 times a day. Now, if you're a professional working in a, an environment that requires technology to do the job, that number is going to be much higher. But let's stay conservative and say 80 times a day, people are checking their phones. If you think about typical number of waking hours, let's say like 16 hours a day, that means you're checking your device every 20 minutes. Okay. Every 20 minutes, you're disrupting your flow to see what's happening on your device. Well, the research will also tell you that it takes about 15 to 20 minutes from the point of distraction to get back into your flow, to be able to do your deep work and actually cultivate some creativity. So if that's true, every 15 to 20 minutes, we're looking at our devices and it takes about that long to get back into creative flow. That means we're all living in a perpetual state of distraction. Your employees, your team, the person next to you, your your family member, your loved one, we're all living in a perpetual state of distraction if we're checking our devices that much because it prevents our mind. It prevents those the, the shifting of gears into the deeper thought um, where you cultivate more creativity, where you tap into more intuition. It keeps us living at this distracted, superficial state. And that means if you're, let's say, uh, some kind of creative company like a design shop or uh, if you're a strategy firm and you're employees' brains and creativity are essentially what you sell, that means you're holding back the best product that you have. If if your teams are stuck uh, in this endless loop of checking devices all day and handling email and responding to notifications, and most companies now have some kind of chat service internally like Slack. And so the distractions are endless. Literally, you could allow, um, in most companies, at least ones that I've worked at, I could have allowed my entire day to be determined by what notifications and emails were coming in. And I remember the moment when I said, I'm not letting this, I'm not letting my inbox determine the course of my day anymore. I'm going to take control of what kind of day I want to have, what kind of work I want to have produced at the end of this day. And I will choose when I'm going to let those notifications in. And this is huge. We don't notice it. We see people at computers and devices, you know, eagerly tapping away. And it looks like they're doing things. But what is the quality of what they're doing? And are we creating the space for them to do the real work, the good stuff? And if you ask any famous creator, if you ask anyone who we revere for their output, for their life's work, they will tell you that you need some time alone and away from distraction. You are very in touch with these with these realities because you you worked inside of the machine. Yes. So you worked at Facebook and Instagram and Apple, and so um, 
which are all amazing companies and and you know we love them totally we love the good things about them but at the same time they are definitely part of this uh, war this epic battle for your consciousness and so uh, how intentional do people at apple sit down and you know have a whiteboard and they say well what is our plan to get 15 seconds more of our users time today or is it more that it just sort of happens by chance think about the 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 alarm clock on your phone so the alarm Mm -hmm. clock on your phone is sort of like a trojan horse because Mm -hmm. i stopped using an alarm clock and i know most people have and so you're if you don't have an alarm clock because you know they're hard to use actually and they're not particularly reliable right so you bring the phone in because it's the alarm clock and then all of a sudden it's sitting on the bedside table and you wake up at 3 30 a.m and there's some notification or something and then you check the phone and then it's for it so that is it's this killer app that actually secretly is the is one of the linchpins to why you're on your phone all the time at least in the evenings how is that, is that something they planned or are these just things that happen i'm curious <laughs> as, from having come from that perspective how that plays out well some of that's a happy accident so i think us giving up alarm clocks and watches in favor of our smartphones uh and, and even before smartphones just your regular flip phone <laughs> as i remember it um I think that was a happy accident that it created a culture where the very first thing we do in our very first waking seconds of every day is we reach for that device. And all of a sudden, we don't have a chance to decide how do we want to feel this morning. We're allowing the phone to show us the stressful news update or the stressful client email or the email from your boss or the text from a family member that stresses you out. All of a sudden, you start your day with a body that's flooded with stress chemicals. What a... a, a, an unfortunate way to be starting our days on a regular basis without our own thoughts, without uh, an opportunity to fill our our body chemistry with bliss hormones instead of stress hormones. Uh, that's, I think, an accident that happened uh, that was unintentional, but everything that has come since then, <laughs> I think, has been very intentional. If you study the attention economy. If you take a look at books like Persuasive Technology that I mentioned earlier, written by B.J. Fogg, this um, is the Bible of Silicon Valley's engineers who are determining how do we keep people hooked? How do we get them into our app more often? And how do we get them to stay a little bit longer? And so they don't, they're not sitting there like the classic villains plotting um, how to do this in a nefarious way. These po- these people are gold. Um, they're, they're, uh, Success in their jobs is determined by how they hit certain metrics, and a lot of these companies focus their key performance uh, indicators on time spent in these apps. And so, of course, if you're an employee of that company wanting to do well and show value, oh, here's what the higher-ups care about, more time spent and more frequently coming into our app. I'm going to figure out how to do that, and I'm going to study all the relevant literature on it and listen to the the talks about this. So. Uh, You see this come up a lot, and it's not uh, an accident that these apps have now been engineered to take advantage of us. So if you think about how, like, Instagram has little red dots hidden everywhere, trying to get you to click into things and add friends. Um, Facebook just announced that they accidentally, quote-unquote, accidentally uploaded, like, tons and tons of contacts, uh, millions of contacts of people without actually getting explicit permission from that. All kinds of tactics. And if you read the news on this, in particular, that... um, that Wired article that came out uh, late last week talking about the past, uh, I think, 15 months uh, of Facebook's hell uh, and what's been going on there. You'll read that a lot of this is designed. 
And it's not just Facebook. Uh, it's it's all these companies that are competing with each other. It's their survival. Uh, and, and so are they sitting there thinking like, we want to cause a, a mental health crisis. We want to do... They, they're not thinking in those terms. The, that's part of the problem is they get tunnel vision and they really just focus on the success of their company and its success at all costs. But they're not really looking at the costs. And now people are starting to say, hey, we have a problem here. Do the people who work at these companies, your former colleagues... Um, do they do they suffer the same as the rest of us, or do they because they're in on the game, as it were? At least they they understand how this 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 type of technology works. They're able to be more resistant. So um, when I was getting ready to leave Facebook to do the work that I do now full time, the most common response from everyone was, "Oh, I need that. I need help." improving my relationship to technology. I do feel like I'm addicted to this. Can I come to one of your workshops? Or, you know what, we should actually just keep you here to teach all of us about that. Um, that those were the two most common responses to me saying, hey, I'm leaving to go do this. They're like, this is a big issue. I need this. We need this. The world needs this. They're very aware of it. Sign of a good business idea. You <laughs> already have a built-in audience. <laughs> I I feel the same way. I think I think uh, many of our listeners do as well. And so you have you have developed uh, a company. You are building a company. You are an entrepreneur, and it's called Purposeful. And you are on a mission to liberate our creative intelligence from distractive technology, which is all the things we've been talking about. So how do you do it? Well. Uh, create awareness of the problem. I, for a long time, wasn't even aware of how influential technology had become in my life. And I'm a tech guy. Like, I grew up around it. I know it really well. I'm regarded as an expert in all of my uh, family, friends, social circles, professional circles. I'm the guy who knows tech and has control over it and knows how to employ it really effectively for myself and for others. So I never thought I was one of the ones that was going to be uh, subject to this issue. And when I realized that I was and how much... I transformed my life, and I don't use that word lightly. When I took control of the relationship I had to technology in my life and reduced it down to just what I needed in order to thrive and to, to live the kind of life I wanted, oh my gosh, the amount of free time that opened up, the kind of life that I started leading was so much richer. And so I realized that by hosting talks, uh, small workshops, uh, and, and also a training program that I've developed, I can really help people find that kind of transformation in their personal or work lives or both. And so that's what I offer is talks to help raise awareness of this issue, help people recognize how it's manifesting in their own lives. How is this showing up for me? It doesn't sound like something that's relevant to me. Oh, uh, the alarm clock thing. I wake up every morning looking at my phone and I feel stressed before I even get out of my bed. So raising awareness of that and also giving people tools and tactics to overcome this and, and make some change, essentially create a little more space in their everyday life for themselves and to get more of what they want out of it. For someone who's listening today and says, this sounds great, I want to get started today, what are a couple of actionable things that all of us can do to start taking back control of our devices Yeah, and our brains? Oh, man. Great question. Well, aside from just noticing how much time you're spending with it to give yourself that motivation for change, um, it would be the alarm clock. So whether it's Using a different device for an alarm clock and keeping that phone outside of your bedroom, that's so, so important. Or if it's actually putting your phone in airplane mode and setting it in your, you know, a room outside of the bedroom, but close enough that you can still hear the alarm go off in the morning, um, but not have any notifications waiting for you when you go to it because it's in airplane mode. Just create that space for yourself. Can I morning. interrupt you here for Please? a second? Yeah. Okay. My strategy on this one has been, 
I keep the phone outside, but I got an Alexa to service my alarm clock. So I say, there you go. But then, you know, then Alexa, all of a sudden I'm asking her a million questions and she's, she's technology (laughs) and she's, she's right next to me. Is that professor? Is that all right? Or (laughs) am I just replacing one addiction with another? Well, uh, one of the things I stray from is saying exactly what's right or wrong for you. It's what do you actually want from this experience? And so what I'm hearing from you, perhaps, and you tell me if I'm right, is that you don't want the opportunity to be distracted, to be able to go down a rabbit hole. Even though it's not a, a screen that you're looking at, it's a, it's a verbal interface that you're able to inquire and get information and stimulus. You could ask, tell me the latest news or turn on this podcast or tell me the weather tomorrow or what's on my agenda for tomorrow. So even Alexa isn't a perfect solution. Um, if if you have that tendency to seek more stimulation. So that might not be the best solution for you, although it is nice to not actually have to touch technology in those final um, moments before you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning. I've experimented with voice assistants as well. But, you know, you go to any corner store like Dwayne Reed, there's a $6 alarm clock waiting for you. And it's, it's you know, a little less uh, user-friendly than using your phone, but once you get it set up, it's all good. Um, but having some untouchable time in the morning that is just for you, no screens allowed, no outside world allowed in, that's a really important one. This sets up a a powerful foundation for your day. So if you want, if you're looking for a way to get more out of your day and to feel more energized and to just get through a day feeling more successful and better about how you spend your time, I implore you to create some boundaries around your morning where you don't let the outside world in. I I like to think of it as doing your mental and emotional hygiene uh, before you let the outside world in to meet you there. The same way you wouldn't go outside of your home without hopefully um, putting on some deodorant, taking a shower, combing your hair, brushing your teeth. You're a better man than me. (laughs) Different strokes for different folks, right? So I offer the suggestion uh, to explore with that space and connect to self. Uh, I'm not saying you have to meditate in the morning or anything like that. Um, it's just start with creating a little space. It, you were mentioning how how wonderful the time in the shower can be. Great ideas that come to you, things that you want to write down but you can't. You know these these moments of inspiration come when you allow them to. It's when you create that space. Beyond uh, that sort of that morning routine, what is another great actionable tip for getting started? Yeah. So um, one of the most powerful changes I ever made at a technical level. Let's talk really tactical here for a second was pruning my news feeds and by that I mean like Facebook Uh, you have a tool in your settings where you can actually control what shows up in your news feed we love to bemoan the algorithm and the fact that it's showing us stuff and we don't get to decide what's in our feed no matter who we follow. This is actually not true. Uh, We've been given incredible power to control what shows up on our newsfeed. And so one of the things I show people is how to go into their settings and unfollow, and not unfriend, but unfollow people. Uh, And that's, you know, news outlets, so like pages, uh, groups, and individuals that you follow. You have fine-grained control over who appears in your newsfeed and do they appear always or just sometimes. And when you do this, so what I did when I was first um, going all Marie Kondo on this, I was removing all this tech from my life. I unfollowed everyone and everything on Facebook to the point where 
my newsfeed was empty. So I would open up the app or log into the website, and all that would be there was a blank newsfeed and then any notifications. And I could go just focus on what I wanted to do when I opened up Facebook, which was usually go check the event listings for, you know, what am I supposed to do today? Because I, I use Facebook a great deal to organize my social life. A lot of the communities I belong to publish them there. But the problem was that damn newsfeed. It's like a rabbit hole that never ends. And so you get caught in it. So if you go in and you change these settings, it's your newsfeed preferences that you can find just under the general settings in Facebook. You can unfollow everything like I did uh, or uh, actually what I did was I unfollowed everything and then I carefully added back what I wanted my newsfeed to be. So all of a sudden it started being filled with inspirational leaders and certain groups that I belong to that uh, help help. Uh, connect me to the real world because these are groups that meet in person and if I miss out on them on Facebook I don't know when to go see them in person so what this meant though was I could go in with a purpose I could log into Facebook log in like I'm dialing it I could open up Facebook and go see immediately what I needed and get out and there was no distractive uh, presence there nothing to convince me to spend time scrolling through an endless news feed. So you can do this on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and it transforms the news feed. The news feed is the flypaper of these apps. It is the thing that gets you stuck. And so if you can remove that distractive force from the app, all of a sudden your relationship to the app transforms and then you can start getting more of the value out of it. I've tried this. So I've taken off notifications. I probably did this about six months ago. Mm. And what I noticed as I look at the stats of my phone is that my uh, use of social media, my use of my phone has gone down about 40%, let's say. Whoa. Something like that. Beautiful. That, well, that tells you where I was before. Not Seriously. a good place. But <laughs> counterintuitively, this is the thing that I thought was really interesting. Um, I've started to think about this, you know, what is this necessary call? What if something happens? And then I started to think about the chance that something is so mind-blowingly important is probably, it's sort of like lightning striking. Mm-hmm. It happens very rarely. Mm-hmm. We, we leave the house every day with knowing that we could potentially be hit. So I had to reframe the way I thought about that. But then I also started to realize that actually by being a little less responsive, a little less available, counterintuitively, I think people value your time more. Because if you're the first to respond to every text, you, um, you <laughs> in, the, in the way that the millennials say, you look a little thirsty. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's good to be a little unavailable. And not only, and that's sort of, in terms of how people value your time, but also you then start to realize, wow, I use that time for something that was for me. The ROI on, yes. on spending time on yourself and the things you need to do vis-a-vis texting in your WhatsApp group about with GIFs about some dumb joke. <laughs> it's, 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 this is incontrovertible. Uh, but if you don't step back and think about it or even try it out and see what it feels like, you may miss out on that realization. Oh, man, you just hit on some really ripe territory. So first of all, what you just said at the end there, experiment, try it out. Like none of this has to be forever. So if you're skeptical, great. Go in with a skeptical mindset like a scientist. Experiment. Know that turning off the notifications or any of these other things are not forever. You're experimenting with what serves you best, what leaves you at the end of the day feeling like I got the most out of my day, I feel good about how I spent my time. Experiment and see what happens. When we step outside of the the typical routine and explore, that's where really amazing things can be discovered about how we balance our time and what we can potentially get out of ourselves and our days. So that's fantastic. And the other thing that you hit on, which was you know, when you are less thirsty, when you are not responding immediately to every message, people start to notice that. This is one of the big things that we cover in my workshops and training programs, which is 
the question that always comes up is, ah, you know, I feel like I owe people a response when they message me and I feel like they get mad at me if I don't immediately reply. Well, first of all, that's a story that we make up in our minds because almost everyone else we're talking about is worried about the same thing from us. So if we all agree that, like, we're making up this story that you're going to be mad if I don't immediately reply, there are some exceptions to that, of course, in particular, maybe your boss or your client and and certain very needy friends. Um, But for the most part, if you do put some delay in there between when you respond, between when you receive the message and when you respond, people notice that. And that is a way to communicate boundaries without having to have a conversation about it. Because one of the greatest fears people have <laughs> in my workshops, I've noticed, is having a conversation. There's, they, they want to know, how do I tell people to uh, respect my boundaries in you this way? You just text them, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Send them an Instagram DM. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, here's what's up. Stop texting me. Uh, But uh, they notice. And it's like water moving around rocks in a river, right? It follows the contours that are set by that. um, If you are rigid in your behavior, if you are rigid in the boundaries that you set and don't compromise, people work around them. This is something that we can all do starting today, and mm-hmm. and um, and you can start to see I mean, the ROI on this is pretty quick, right? You start to oh, see yeah. this within a couple of days, as you've as you noted. Oh my gosh, it's uh, just the morning routine, changing that, and realizing how much space you can create for yourself. You can have a whole life in the morning before you go off and and work for the day. Um, if you're going into an office or you're working for yourself, having that little bit of time adds up very quickly into meaningful change. And the notifications thing. I mean, <laughs> if we think about how many notifications we get on a day which you can track in the the iPhone and uh, Android uh, tracking features, how many notifications you get a day. You turn that down, you're freeing up a lot of brain power to just be or just enjoy, savor the moment. How about that? How about we just like go for a walk and not look at our phone. Notice how beautiful it is outside. Love that. That is great advice. And so I want to continue with the advice here. Um, This is a show about finding the power to choose what you actually want in business and life and the courage to miss out on the rest. So what is your advice for our listeners? Mm, Yes. So embrace the idea of solitude. And I think this is very fitting that we're talking about it in the context of FOMO because FOMO drives us to stay plugged in. So creating some time without your device or when you agree you're not going to check it. Even something like you've been working all morning, you should, you know, best practice is to take a break every so often when you're working for yourself or even, you know, working in an office. Take some breaks, get up, move around. Take those as opportunities to put the phone down, close the computer and take a walk outside or just do some laps around your office or wherever you might be. Find some peace in the chaos because technology is just always bombarding us with information and potential stressors or opportunities and things that we have to worry about. So if we could dial down the worry, dial down the constant scanning for what's the next threat or opportunity and just be, just savor, just see what you feel like, see what's going on around you. That's incredibly rewarding. And I know it sounds silly. I mean, if I had been t- telling this to myself maybe five years ago, I would have been like, okay, thanks for the, the woo-woo advice. Um, uh, I'll do that as soon as I finish meditating and harvesting my crystals. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's interesting if you just experiment, like I was saying before, and start trying and seeing, you know, get the data for yourself. How does it affect you? That's powerful. It's very, uh, it's very good advice, and and I'm now going to ask you to, to to do something slightly different, which is we've just talked about solitude, but people may want to find you and follow you on social media mm. in a healthy way. So where can people <laughs> find you? The best way to find me is on my website, www.purposeful.nyc, and you can connect to me elsewhere on there. That's where you can sign up for my email, uh, which I send out 
Not frequently, but when there's important things to say. Uh, I'm not one of those people that is constantly trying to figure out, well, what am I going to say today in my newsletter? If you sign up for it, it'll be the important stuff like when the next workshop is or here's uh, here's some helpful articles or some new tools or tactics that I've discovered. And you can also find me rarely posting on Instagram or LinkedIn, but you can find all of that through uh, my website, purposeful.nyc. Excellent. Giancarlo Patoco, thanks so much for stopping by. Patrick, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. FOMO. And now it's time for the FOMO moment of the show, which is the time when I talk about FOMO and its role in pop culture or tell you about something that's giving me FOMO. Putting technology in its place isn't just a theoretical construct. It is also very much about how you coexist with technology and all of your devices in the physical world. In fact, a recent survey by Asurion found that 70% of all adults and 88% of millennials sleep with their phones within reach. That's not good. In fact, Ariana Huffington has come up with an innovative solution to the encroachment of technology on your personal space. To make sure that your devices don't trump your wellness, she has invented a phone quote-unquote bed that becomes part of your nighttime routine. So you put your phone literally into a little bed, you plug it in for charging, and then you say goodbye until morning when you two will meet again, both recharged and ready for the day ahead. And I have to say on this point, I firmly agree with Ariana Huffington. The bedroom should be a phone-free zone. That has long been my policy, and while I don't have a bed, I'll have to admit that my iPhone loves to sleep naked on the kitchen counter. FOMO! If you have an idea for the faux moment of the week or you have a question, reach out to me at letsconnect at patrickmcginnis.com or send me a tweet at PJ McGinnis. Also, you can take the official FOMO Sapiens diagnostic at patrickmcginnis.com slash FOMO-quiz and find out if you're FOMO Sapiens. FOMO Sapiens is part of the HBR Presents Network. The show is produced by AW360 and recorded in New York City. Theme music is by Mike McGinnis. If you like today's show, please be sure to subscribe, rate it, and recommend it to your friends. And as always, you can find me at patrickmcginnis.com. You can also take the official FOMO diagnostic at patrickmcginnis.com slash FOMO quiz to find out if you're a FOMO sapiens. 